As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Just do it. All right. Good evening. It's another weekly heroics, uh, two true freaks guide to um, heroes on TV. That's it. And I believe this is going to be episode six. I think one, two. I'm three, not sure. Five, six. It's going to be one of those episodes after five. Because <laughs> As we, you do. we recorded like four or five of them, in, you know, in the last few weeks, uh, and we're finally getting around to doing another one after a little hiatus. So you don't know that because. We're pumping out, uh, you know, episodes weekly for y'all, and happy to have it up. And um, we've got a Facebook page now, and email at weeklyheroics at yahoo.com. And I'm Scott 2.0, Scott McGregor, and I'm here with the hair metal hero, Mr. Chris Tyler. Take a bow. Hey, everybody. And I am still um, suffering from kind of a scratchy, almost non-existent voice here, so I'm trying to project and enunciate so y'all can hear me. Uh, but I apologize if, if it's a little scratchy. Don't know if it's ever going to come back at this point. So my singing career is over. Oh, no. At least. Um, yeah, I'm sure the world will thank us for that. <laughs> but we do have an email, finally. Yes. And a great one. And we would love to hear from more of you. But um, we're going to read this one for you. And it's from Mr. David Pascarella, who is a very cherished regular on the Two True Freaks um, Facebook page. And listens to much of our stuff, and we very much appreciate that. Yes, we do. And I just I like just blushing from how cool this email is, and I'm just going to get to it, and I don't know if my ego may explode in the middle of it, and you'll have to take over, but we'll do it here. Dear Chris and Scott, thank you for another great podcast. I've never seen an episode of Preacher, but I think it's the whole Catholic upbringing thing that has held me back, so what exactly <laughs> drew me to a podcast where the first eight episodes discussed a program that I haven't watched nor intend to watch. The answer, of course, is the podcasting excellence that oh, is Hero and Scott 2.0. Dave, are you on drugs? No, you're I not. Know, right? I know, right? You're not on drugs. in the mail, Dave. <laughs> Truth be told, I don't watch Fear the Walking Dead either, but never miss the podcast, which is the one I do with uh, uh, Beth and Brian Hughes. And with the start of your coverage on The Flash and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you've covered programs that I watch regularly. I do enjoy The Flash a bit more than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. For the most part, my 10-year-old Amanda and I watch The Flash, either live or within 24 hours. Nice. For S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm on my own, often find episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. accumulating on the DVR, and my enjoyment seems to flow mostly in peaks, but some valleys. It could be that I've always been a DC Comics reader, and I'm not that familiar with the Marvel Universe outside of the movies. This may be the reason for the bias in favor of The Flash. The reveal of the newspaper from the future with the mention of the crisis was phenomenal. 
I enjoy S.H.I.E.L.D. tying into events of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I love the interconnected universe of The Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Plenty of fertile ground for future podcasts as your time allows. Again, the show is great. Looking forward to the next episode. Sincerely, David Pascarella. And just, thank you, David. Wow, thank you, David. Absolutely. Glad you're enjoying it. Glad somebody's enjoying it. Well, we um, enjoy watching the shows. Yeah. <laughs> no. this. Pretty much a pain-free work assignment. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> stuff we'd be doing anyway. <laughs> but uh, well, let's jump into it, and we're at uh, what episode six of season one of Agents of Shield. I'll let you take it away, Mister Hero. So uh, the title of this episode for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is Vzt, that's F-Z-Z-T, <laughs> and that is an onomatopoeic of uh, some electrical noise, and we'll get to why in just a moment. So, Not the, to be confused with Zax, unfortunately, because no, that is not really cool to see. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <carry> uh, so the cold open for this episode is uh, some children being led by a uh, camp leader and uh, a scoutmaster and uh, volunteer firefighter in the woods. And uh, they're telling a scary story about the crying man. And uh, all of a sudden, they hear a noise, and uh, the older gentleman, who is the volunteer firefighter, w- runs off to investigate the noise. And then the kids hear him scream, and they get into the car, and all of a sudden, as that's happening, uh, the car essentially, um, well, has a little accident. Uh, (laughs) Static uh, electrical discharge goes through it and shoots the battery right out of the hood of the car. Uh, (laughs) And then we see that uh, the volunteer firefighter is levitating in midair, apparently dead. And uh, that's how we start off the episode. Fitz and uh, Simmons are discussing, uh, well, the relation. Well, it, I'm already screwing this up. So basically, uh, Fitz and Simmons are working on the night night gun. This is going to be a gun that they're going to use to shoot people with and knock them out. And they're basically, uh, Sky is kind of jealous of the relationship the two of them have. And eventually they start. Uh, making fun of uh, Agent Grant Ward, doing their best really crappy impersonations of Agent Grant Ward. Yeah. It's kind of cute. Um, so well, Because he wants another ounce off. The gun's not good enough. Cause the gun is nothing is good enough for Agent Grant, Agent Grant Ward. Uh, nothing's good enough for him. And he, and he mentions that it could be the, the difference between life and death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, what ends up happening is uh, it appears to be another uh, electrostatic discharge. Oh, am I getting my head of myself here? Yes, another ne- electrostatic signal is detected. And then the race is on to find the source of the discharge. Uh, well, they go and do their little detective work. They did the, do a little detective scene, work. Yeah. They have no idea why the guy's floating or how he died. That's basically the long and the short of it. While they're getting some ideas as to what that might be, there is another electrostatic buildup happening and uh, we have Ward uh, and May and Coulson on the ground looking for the source of that 
and uh, they the team on the bus directs them to a barn where they head in, and then they find another gentleman in the same state as they found uh, the troop leader earlier in the episode, floating in midair so with a sparkly with zaps. Yep. With the yeah, crackling with electricity and uh, with a wound on his head. Um, so this leads the team to believe that both men were killed by the same person. Um, as we then cut to a mystery man who is polishing a metal mask that emanates a definite electro uh, electric discharge. Uh, this is uh, after we find out that both of the men who have died were both respondents at the Battle of New York from the first Avengers movie. Mm. So there's a little deeper implication and tie back into the main Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Coulson uh, takes the team to the uh, firehouse where both of the men were stationed. And he's uh, basically letting them know that uh, both guys have died the same way. And uh, we see the gentleman who was working with the uh, cleaning up the, and playing with the helmet earlier uh, come out. And uh, basically, <laughs> Coulson has to tell this guy that, um, you know, whatever happened to those other two guys, it's going to happen to him. And in one of the most interesting parts of the episode, uh, Coulson takes his earpiece out after he tells everybody to exit the building because there's going to be a huge electric discharge that's coming. Uh, and he tells this guy, hey, look, um, I've been where you are. I'm going to die. Uh, yeah. I died, and uh, it's okay. Um, so helping this guy get some measure of peace, um, Coulson leaves, and we hear the the discharge happen, and we know that the third firefighter is dead. So uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. team takes the helmet, the Shatari, it's a Shatari helmet. Uh, they take it, they're taking it to a place called the Sandbox, and this is basically the R&D lab that's uh, over the Atlantic in, I don't even remember if they say where it is. It's a classified location. It's a, the S.H.I.E.L.D. R&D place. So they're going to take the helmet to the Sandbox. That's the name of the R&D facility. And what we find out is that um, basically Gemma has uh, been infected by the same thing that's killing these guys. It's uh, And that's essentially what it is. It's an infection that's uh, building right. up an electrostatic buildup in these people's bodies. Chitauri <laughs> yeah, alien from virus. the Chitari helmet. Um, and they're not quite sure if it's from the helmet, if it's Chitari in origin, if it's something else. So... Um, Coulson realizing that Gemma has been infected because now metal objects are floating around her, he quarantines her. And basically... Knowing, the, knowing that this was, yeah, and then, you know, knowing this was a, a Whedon joint that made us all a little nervous that this might could be die. last episode, yeah. Well, it's a little early to be killing one of your main characters. Then again, it, like you said, uh, yeah. Joss Whedon was involved. Um, so Coulson unfortunately has to uh, quarantine her. And we find out that she's really the only one that's got the mental capacity to figure out what's going on. They're going to be at the sandbox in three hours, and Gemma's going to be dead in two. So there you go. Um, either either the, the, the bus is going to explode from the inside because of the discharge, or she's going to figure out what's going on. Well, remember, Coulson gets uh, orders to dump her, basically, and... Yes, yes, he does. He does but the it's, getting a lot of static. Yes. 
Um, yeah, but I mean, Coulson's very garbled, coming through very garbled. Yes. Uh, so, um, with time not on their side, uh, sciencey, 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 uh, <laughs> Gemma figures out that it's basically uh, there was something on the helmet itself, some sort of uh, bacteria or chemical agents. I'm not sure exactly how she classifies it. And uh, it's awoken by static electricity. So the fact that these three firefighters were polishing the helmet, that is not a euphemism. They were literally polishing the helmet. Yeah. Uh, just because they were bored one night at the fire station, that activated this bacteria, which uh, has the buildup in the bodies of these people. So uh, eventually uh, Fitz says, screw it, I'm going to get in the lab, and he's going to help uh, Gemma. Uh, so they're going to try to fix everything together. And everybody else watches from the other side of the glass as the two of them are working. Sciencey, sciencey, sciencey. Eventually, uh, Gemma feels like nothing's working, even though, uh, you know, we don't know this yet, but uh, she's at the, she's pretty much lost hope. Uh, everybody's going to die. They're flying over the Atlantic Ocean. She gets herself out of the quarantine, and she <laughs> goes down to the landing ramp, opens it up. And uh, this is as... Uh, Fitz wakes up and realizes that the tests that they were doing on the mice, that they were testing all these anti-venom, antigen... Anti-serum. Anti-serum things on. Really call it a vaccine. Yeah, whatever. It's not a vaccine. It's an (laughs) Uh, (laughs) anti-serum. Apparently it worked, and uh, Gemma doesn't realize this, so she's at the loading ramp with it open, and she just uh, allows herself to fall out as... uh, Fitz is frantically screaming at her, it worked, come back in. Uh, without really wasting any time, Agent Grant Ward suits up and jumps out. Uh, Jump out of a plane without a parachute. <laughs> yeah, she jumps out without a parachute. He's got his. He jumps out. He saves her. He gives her the inoculation. And the electric discharge dissipates as the two of them are floating into the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Colson because he's Coulson, uh, is clearly relieved that the two of them are alive, but he does read them the, ri- the riot act saying, don't you ever disobey orders, and we, you know, we couldn't afford to lose you. And um, one thing that I did forget to mention is at the beginning of the episode, Coulson is uh, having a physical done, and he says it's at the request of his physical therapist. Uh, we find out at the end of the episode it's because he hasn't felt right since he's been back to life. Mm-hmm. May kind of calls him on this, and she says, take off your shirt. So he unbuttons his shirt, and we see the stab wound from the uh, the Loki pokey stick. And So for the first time, we know that uh, Coulson's not a life model decoy. No, least. he is not an LMD. He is the Coulson that uh, was at on the helicarrier that got yeah. stabbed. And uh, May calmly tells him, like, look, of course you feel different. You died. It changed you. There's no way you couldn't feel different. Um, so realizing that, uh, you know, May's got his back and he's got his team together, they land in where the sandbox is, classified, and Agent Blake uh, comes on to take the Chitauri helmet, and uh, he gives Coulson the riot act for disobeying a direct order, and it says it's not like the Coulson that he used to know. And uh, Coulson smiles, realizing that, well, you know, he's not really the Coulson that he used to be. And uh, that is uh, not quite the end of the episode. Fitz and Simmons uh, share a cute moment together where uh, she's very thankful for everything that he did for 
her, and she gives him a kiss on the cheek. Yeah. Aw. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. It's a, a kind of a fluffy episode. It's not really a plot episode. Uh, the main focus points of this episode is that we get to see the relationship between uh, the team members some more, which is what this show probably does better than anything else in the first season. The plotting isn't the greatest, but it's the character beats that do work the best. And like you said, it's the confirmation that this is the Agent Coulson from the movies. It's the same guy. He was dead, whether it was for however long they told him or however long people believed. He was on a slab. Yeah. Uh, he, he died. And now he's back. And May is realizing that. And uh, as of right now, it doesn't seem to be an issue for her. Um. And uh, we get to see Grant Ward being the super-duper hero and being all Grant Wardy. And we get to see the science nerds doing their science thing. And uh, Sky is kind of left out in the cold in this. She's just sort of complaining about how uh, the team does, you know, is still getting back to used to trusting her after the debacle from the last episode. And I think rightly so. Uh, she did lie to them all and almost got them all killed. So, again, it's not the plottiest episode and in terms of stuff that other little easter eggs or anything there really isn't any no. uh, but it is just the confirmation that we are in the same world as the movies i think the best thing this episode does, did for me at least was this was kind of the one that solidified the fitzsimmons chemistry for me yeah you know that it was just and man i don't know the guy who i don't know i mean the rest of the cast worked really well together but these two have like just gelled from from day one on the show and it's not something you see a lot you know it's almost like they they might have i don't have not done the research on it but they're almost like these actors have worked together before or know each other or they just seem to have a next level of of comfort with each other yeah they are like just the good writing or i don't know i think it's probably it's probably just the acting i mean they're yeah you know they're well they're british so yeah yeah we're always better actors than (laughs) sometimes yeah um um, but especially the guy who plays uh, Fitz is is just man. He he just brings it every every scene. I mean, it's I don't know his anguish at at Gemma jumping was just like so real. It was you know there there was no acting there for me. I don't know. No, no. He's uh the the two of them on screen together over the course of this whole series is is excellent stuff. Yeah, and the last scene especially, it's just like, why aren't you two together as a couple? You know, it's like the anguish of, of this, these you know poor people who have put each other in the friend zone, but they clearly should be together. Because you don't shit where you eat, Scott. Right, yeah, well, I guess, you know. Especially when it's somebody that you grew up with, and it's like your brother and sister. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, not to spoil <laughs> anything that comes later, but... You know, maybe they do get together. Maybe they do. Maybe one of them dies. Maybe one of them drowns. Who knows what happens? So, yeah, uh, it's it's a Joss Whedon joy. If they do get together, they're probably doomed. You know, that's a step. As you do. Yeah. (laughs) Not necessarily for the don't shit where you eat aspect of it, but for the evil Whedon, let's kill off people aspect of it. Uh, But no spoilers. They're both still alive, you know, for a significant amount of time, so don't worry about it. Yeah, we're not spoiling anything. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It, uh, for stuff that comes later in this season, especially uh, building up their relationship now is kind of critical. Yeah. So we won't uh, we won't say any more about that. Uh, even if it's not, I mean, necessarily intentional with future things in mind. It's, as I said, it just seems like it's such a natural 
comfort between those two. And uh, that that served this episode better than anything else that went on in it, I think. I, I thought the first scene of the, the Boy Scout, first, why not go with the classic cook guy? You know, I mean, they try to come up with this lame, the crying man. It's like, ugh. I don't know. All I can say, I was having <laughs> sliders flashbacks. Remember Slider, sliders? No, no, no I, I watched some, but I, I the, didn't get that one. Yeah, the, uh, the black guy on it, the soul singer, he was the crying uh-huh. man. Oh, okay, right. Yep, that, that, that was probably intentional then. So. Yeah, you'll have to find the song and put it in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm gonna make a note of that. I didn't mind the crime. You, you can't always do the hook hand. Come on. No, you know, it's just I, I'm a traditionalist. I like Maybe the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they don't have there, a version. There's no hook man. Yeah, he, he, well, hook man is probably an actually is probably the Grim Reaper. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, sigh hand would be. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it didn't really move much in the plot. Um, as you said, Sky just complaining about her, her little um, home home arrest tag. And and uh, yeah, we get a little little of the, the shield bureaucracy. We learn about the sandlot. The sandlot? The sandbox? Or the <laughs> sandlot? It's where the, the shield softball team plays. You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And it, oh, good to see Agent Blake there, who who played like the man. And he plays pretty much a villain or you know shady character in anything he does on TV. But uh, specifically, he was like the man in black on Lost. For all you poor bastards that watch Lost with me, hey hey hey, at me. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I quit after season two. It dodged a bullet. Um, all right, so I guess that's, uh, yeah, they didn't even give us any, like, uh, mythology-type tag on that one, just the, the sweetness of the the Fitzsimmons stuff, so. Yeah, actually, the the, the tag was the uh, the, the Blake and uh, Coulson scene, I swear. Okay, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, Coulson did, he, he threw around a little bit of his, uh, probably wasn't really wise of him, just like, yeah, I am different, and you know, get used to it. I'm going to be disobeying. Well, you know what? <laughs> if you come back from the dead, that kind of would give you a little bit of swag. I like. All oh right. yeah, yeah. So still not very good professionally, though. You know, because he's basically like, you know, try to take my team away from me. That's kind of them's fighting words, especially in Shield. Yeah. Especially when most of Shield is actually Hydra, which we is not spoiling. Shh, we don't know it. that yet. Well, they don't know that yet, but. Anybody who's watched a Marvel movie does at this point. So, no apologies. Okay. <laughs> I know we just read an email saying, I don't watch this show, but I love your, you know, your podcast. And then we just spoil it for David. So, I apologize for that. Oh, no, he does watch it. He's been show. watching. He yeah, just watches cool. it in dribs and drabs. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, before I eat more of my leg, uh, let's move on to Arrow. Um, <laughs> it's just. Arrow, uh, first first season, obviously, and we do episode three. Now I'll show you what I already know. As one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. There is fire, there is smoke. Burn it down! Burn it down! Dick, you're fired! Thank you. Flame on! Hey, Johnny, I didn't know you could ignite parts of your body. Now, to do the job, I need some high-octane gasoline. Burn, baby, burn! Ray Shields. Fire! What would you like to do in the whole world? Burn it all. Your world will burn. Come on, let's burn them all! 
some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Third Degree Burn, a podcast looking at all things John Byrne. Available at tutufreaks.com. What a hothead. My name is Oliver Queen. For five years, I was stranded on an island with only one goal. Survive. Oliver Queen is alive. Now I will fulfill my father's dying wish to use the list of names he left me and bring down those who are poisoning my city. To do this, I must become someone else. I must become something else. Uh, I'm being a little lazy this time getting this from the imdb.com page. I did just watch the episode again and make some further notations to make it even more long and boring for you. Um, (laughs) So you got that going for you. All right, open on Oliver Training. And just before I start, actually, before I lose this thought, I understand now why we Oliver starts out very solitary in the first part of uh, the first season of Arrow. And eventually, nothing really spoiled. He builds kind of a team of people. And I understand why the showrunners, and thank God the showrunners did this, because until he gets the team of people... He'd be talking to himself every it's episode. It's a lot of internal dialogue doing the exposition for us. It gets kind of really old for after a while. Uh, oh, shoot. That out of the way. While Oliver trains, he explains through voiceover uh, what Arrow is all about. This is a little recap of what the show is about again. And his latest target is James Holder responsible for defective fire detectors in low-income housing in the Glades in, um, in Starling City. Arrow confronts Holder, as he's wont to do, and does the whole you have failed this city thing. Well, he doesn't even get to finish no. failed this city before uh, James gets a shot right through the heart, and uh, someone else is watching through a rifle scope who we recognize pretty instantly once we see him. And um, he, a bullet also grazes Arrow, and Oliver goes back to his lair, crosses Holder off his list, even though he didn't earn that one himself, and then he falls to the ground, result of what he identifies as a poison bullet, and he retrieves some herbs from a little kit and ingests them as he passes out. And then we do a flashback to Oliver meeting the mysterious hooded guy who shot him in the previous episode um, when he first arrived on the island. And he tells him that he shot him to protect him, and then pulls the arrow out of him very painfully and disappears. But Oliver has no idea what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all in uh, probably Japanese, I would imagine. Um, I'm not even sure if they ever. I can't remember. State that, and my Japanese is a little too rusty. Uh, <laughs> Ollie wakes up in the present, apparently none the worse for wear. Yay, magic healing herbs. And we flash to some uh, obligatory, you know, queen family stuff. And a drunken Thea is brought home by the police after stealing some things from a clothing store. Oliver criticizes mother because uh, she lets her stay home from school and kind of gives her a little, uh, you know, an insightful little lecture about, you know, it's like you really need to kind of rein her in. And she's like, well, we didn't do that for you. And he's like, yeah, you, you should have. I was an idiot, and I did a lot of stupid freaking things because you <laughs> let me. And that's actually strikingly similar to advice you know, I would probably give to my own mother. <laughs> 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 but I just kind of wish that 
<laughs> maybe you'd been a little more harsh with me because, uh, you know, I know I should didn't, but it didn't serve me well later in life as far as accepting responsibility for some of my actions. Deep Thoughts by yeah. Scott McGregor. Yes, and I can imagine that's exponentially worse when you're a billionaire kid. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I was a billionaire kid, I wouldn't have made it to my age I am now. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, um, let me go over to uh, Detective Lance, talking with another fellow cop. He wonders if Arrow might be behind uh, Holder's shooting death because they have found an arrow there. Oliver analyzes the poison that he was shot with, and he figures out the shooter, and he finds out it was Curari, which is uh, something that comes up several times in this show. Um, and they figure out the shooter was a well-known assassin known as Deadshot, Floyd Lawton himself. So we get to finally see, very early on in this series, a nice kind of big-name DC yep. villain. So that was very cool. Um, doesn't rock the whole suit, but he's got the little eye monocle sight thingy and looks pretty cool. I really like this version of Floyd Lawton. Me too. Um, yeah, he, Ali, of course, doesn't like this guy because he doesn't kill for justice or honor like Ali does. He He's a mercenary. He, he kills for money. So, uh, And he's now at the top of Oliver's list. Oliver is planning to open up a new nightclub uh, right above his secret lair, presumably. And Tommy wants him to check out the competition, a club named Poisoned, uh, owned by Max Fuller, who uh, Max Fuller, who apparently um, Ali had slept with his fiance years before um, he became a castaway. That yeah, you're neglecting the most pertinent point of that story. It was at the rehearsal dinner. Yeah, at the rehearsal dinner. Was, it was, so that's like which the is night still right before, before the wedding. Yes. yes. <laughs> Very funny episode. I, I got to go back and look who wrote this exactly because there's a lot of comedy and, and Tommy Merlin is really funny in this. this episode. Yeah, that, he's a good. That kid's a good actor. <laughs> yeah. Um, Diggle points out that the new club uh, Oliver wants to open is kind of in a rough part of town, and Diggle kind of takes him to task for being an irresponsible white person, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. Very funny too. And you know, he's just kind of like, "Oh, you're gonna bring your your rich white boy money in here, and the people that live here are never gonna see any of it." You know, and Ollie tries to see like, you know, the per you know, kind of his side of it, and like, well, if we build up businesses in this area, it'll gentrify and things will be better for everyone. But I don't think Diggle is buying it. <laughs> <laughs> Joanna uh, talks to who's Laurel's a good friend and fellow lawyer. Um, talks to Laurel about having still having feelings for Oliver. It's obligatory CW soapy stuff here. Uh, she wants them to go out that night to help Laurel move on. And Joanna convinces Laurel to go out with her to the same club Ollie will be at, unbeknownst to them, of course. Drama. And uh, Moira grounds Thea for two weeks. Good luck with that one, Mom. And Thea is basically being the bratty rich girl poster child. Yeah. Uh, Oliver climbs the side of a building uh, to pull something out of a wall, does a little parkour stuff. Parkour detective work I've got here in my notes and, and retrieves one of Deadshot's bullets. The police get back the ballistic report on um, Holder's murder, and his colleague is trying to convince Lance that it was the hood because Arrow's there, but Lance is apparently a much better cop and and realizes, like, yeah, but he killed him with poison and a bullet, and so it ain't him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes for this one, dude. <laughs> right. Not a lot of faith in the Starling City Police Force uh, in this episode for me. Uh, but Lance, uh, as I said, isn't sure and goes to get his own evidence. Oliver determines that the shooter is probably working on behalf of the Russian mob. Pause here for a cigarette light. 
Ah. He goes to a garage and asks in Russian for someone named Alexei Leonov. And he shows a tattoo and uh, says his name is Bratva. Not really no, his no, name, he's, but he, the he's a member the of Russian Bratva. Mob. Right, so right. He's showing that he's a member of it. Yeah, which all you need is a tattoo, apparently, and they'll just believe you. Well, he doesn't believe him immediately, but he takes him down and talks to him just on the tattoos. Kind of laps security in the Russian mob there, too, in my opinion. <laughs> well, you he don't get that tattoo unless you're made. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, you could probably just get a tattoo if you wanted it infiltrate a Russian mob site once or something, and, <laughs> and they'd only let you do it once. Uh, yeah, ask for information about Deadshot, a name, uh, man named Carl Arrest, and that's where uh, Alexei or says that he's going to check out his credentials first. A man named uh, Carl Rasmussen is killed. Lance points out that uh, to Walter and Moira that Rasmussen was also interested in purchasing his company that they're about to be auctioning or bidding on in an auction the following day. And so he kind of hints, you know, little accusations going on. And Walter, you know, smartly points out that it's like, there's a lot of people bidding on this company. I'd have to kill a shit ton of people by tomorrow if I was the one taking out my competition here. Yeah. So, yeah, and Lance didn't exactly do great Batman work there either. Oliver and Tommy drop by Poison, the glove, making sure to leave Diggle at the door, which is another hilarious scene, you know, the, him and Oliver get in and... And Ollie's just like, I've never seen this man before in my life, and just leaves these poor Diggle in the dust. Yeah. Laurel is also there, uh, is also there as a very drunk Thea, who spills the beans about Tommy and Laurel's uh, romantic slash just sexual relationship, and things get all, well, they don't really get awkward, because Tommy's, or uh, Ollie's like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. And um, Tommy's much more torn up about it. Uh, Fuller shows up, promptly, uh, you know, lures uh, Ollie and, and Tommy into back room and, and well another funny scenes and Tommy does the whole to get to him you're gonna have to go through me like holy crap they're gonna go through me aren't they <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny and uh, you know Ali gets punched Tommy gets punched and uh, lo and behold Laurel comes to the rescue and kicks everyone's ass cop and, dead yeah yeah Ali's just like what the cop dead come on you know I've <laughs> been doing martial arts since I was fucking five Ali come on stop it um <laughs> Yeah, we get another flashback uh, to Ollie on the island. He wakes up next to the man uh, who shot him and runs outside and, and quickly gets caught in a trap, a nice big net trap. At the restaurant, the guys meet Diggle's sister-in-law, uh, Carly, and another funny line. She, she meet, greets Diggle and, and Diggle, and she's like, so sweet of you to adopt two white boys like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tommy apologized, uh, and of course Tommy's like, whoa, who's that? And Diggle's like, that's my sister-in-law. And he's like, who I will never look at or talk to ever again in my life. Tommy apologized to uh, Oliver about not telling him about Laurel. Oliver doesn't seem worried about it at all, um, which how could he? He was fucking her sister when the, the boat thing happened. Yeah. Uh, Tommy feels bad about breaking the bro code, I guess, and uh, we learn that Diggle's job um, somehow got his brother... Carly's husband killed. More on that later in the, in the series. Uh, Oliver gets a call from the Russians who give him the address, who, who, of course, he gets the call right where Tommy's sitting there and starts speaking in Russian, then he's like, oh, shit. And, and he's just like, oh, it's a Russian, you know, dancer, ballet dancer or something that's calling me. Gymnast, maybe it was. I, I, a model, I believe. Model, okay, I would have picked gymnast. Um, Olga. <laughs> <laughs> uh... uh 
Yeah, so they give him the address where Deadshot stayed last time he was in town, and uh, we, we cut to Deadshot looking at blueprints online. The arrow arrives at the hotel room, leading to a fight, and we get to see Floyd use the wrist machine guns. Fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. Deadshot jumps out a window and gets away, however. Oliver plays a visit to a woman in his um, company named Felicity Smoke in his Finally. IT department. Yep, and he gives her Deadshot's... Another very funny scene. He gives her Deadshot's damaged laptop, claiming that he uh, you know, spilled a latte on it, and she's just like, this is a bullet hole. He's like, my coffee shop is in a very rough neighborhood. So, loved it. Um, so he's hoping she can salvage some information on it. Back to the Queen family, Moira gets, uh, tries to get some bonding time in with Thea, and she tells Thea a little anecdote about how good her father had been at getting through to her, and, um, and Thea's like, this is the first time you've talked about him in years. So just, yeah, necessary, obligatory, family, soapy stuff. Back to Felicity, she finds the blueprints on Deadshot's laptop, and Felicity knows Ollie's kind of full of shit about stuff, and realizes it's not really his laptop. Uh, they are at the place where the auction is going to be taking place, and Oliver realizes there are too many locations um, for Deadshot to fire from that he, he can even possibly protect anyone, so he needs help. So he kind of almost kidnaps Detective Lance as the arrow and forcefully tells him what he knows about Deadshot and his weapon of choice. And uh, Lance is obviously not not too thrilled about the prospect of having to protect the Queen family, but he does his duty. (laughs) Thea joins her mother... Wow, there goes the voice. Thea joins her mother and uh, Walter at the auction. Lance has a large team protecting the area, but Deadshot has already killed one of the officers and taken his post. Tommy drops by Laurel's work to talk about the other night. Soapy, soapy, soapy. She says she thinks it was obvious that Oliver already knew about them. Tommy says he wants to be the kind of man that she want to be with. <laughs> She's like, I would love to meet someone like that. I'm the man your man can smell like. <laughs> uh, Oliver is at the auction, you know, doing the scope out thing, and he mentions the potential for a shooting to Diggle. At the last minute, uh, we, we see the red laser lights happening, and Lance pushes Walter out of the way. Uh, a waiter gets clipped. A couple other people get shot. Uh, Oliver rushes up the stairs, grabbing his arrow gear on the way, and Diggle follows. Arrow and Deadshot battle. Arrow eventually drops him with a shot through the right eye, uh, right through the the sight thingy, the, the, yeah, the, the goggles. Uh, the dead, the Deadshot monocle. Yep. But he also sees that Diggle has been hit with one of the Curare bullets himself. And we flash back to the island briefly as the mystery man releases Oliver from the net with a warning about others on the island and flash back to Lost on that one, too. <laughs> and then we see a little scene of, uh, you know, black-clad mercenary types rummaging through the, the net and everything. So, hmm, I wonder what, who could come out of that. I don't know. Yeah. Arrow gives Diggle some of his organic antidote, antidote for the poison, anti-serum. We'll call it an anti-serum. <laughs> and uh, Diggle struggles. Everything's connected. Diggle struggles into consciousness, and when he wakes up, dumbass Oliver is standing there in full costume, and and now Diggle knows who has saved him and who Arrow and Ollie are are the same. And pretty sure that was by design. So yeah, I'm sure we'll be getting to that next episode. Yeah, this episode. Uh, 
Good one. Yeah. Funny, man. A lot of laughs. Yeah, there's a lot of laughs in it. how funny it was when I, when I went back and watched it today. I was just like, wow, man, there's somebody, the, the writer on this one is a com- comedian somewhere along the line because it's great yeah. timing. <laughs> it's, uh, it, this one is, uh, this is really where the Arrow family starts to get going, finally. Yeah. Thank God, because uh, <laughs> yeah. we get introduced to Felicity Smoke. Yeah, and it's a very short scene. And it, honestly, if you didn't know she was going to be a part of the show moving forward, you'd have no idea that she was going to be a regular. It's such a small part. Yeah, but she's, she's obviously a very quirky and, and, and cool character, and just again, yeah, funny. instant instant comment, comedy chemistry between uh, Ollie and her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and luckily, we have said we're we're bringing Diggle into the fold, presumably in the next episode, or at least he knows now. So, um, you know, we're yeah, working towards getting Ollie away from his internal dialogue, which is well, it would have really <laughs> been embarrassing if the rest of this, if he didn't find out until you know, like halfway or near the end of the season. It's like, yeah. um, yeah. you know, at a certain point, <laughs> you're going to end up losing that gig because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, you're. Yeah, the, the Moyer Queen's going to be like, you're freaking fired, yeah. And I think Ollie realized that, and he's like, there's no way I can do this without letting this guy know who I am. So uh, I think he would have pushed it if... A little bit, yeah. If he, had, he hadn't gotten shot this episode, I think, yeah, Ollie would have strung him along a little longer. But I, I think he definitely sees Diggle's value in an ally, too. He, he knows the man knows his shit. You know? And any other client, I'm sure, could not give him... Give him the ditch as much as Ollie does. Yeah. Yeah, he does mention, so I guess I'm going to have to start going in with you when you pee now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, creepy. No, no, you aren't. Well, hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to protect that client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the show continues to hammer home the fact that Thea is just a horrible, horrible person right she's, now. She's a hot mess, yeah. And, she you know, is. Understandably so, you know. Uh, there's there's hot mess, and then there's realizing that your mother is going to bail you out of any trouble you get into and just being a complete bitch. I, I know a couple people like that, though. and uh, I think we all do, but if, it doesn't make it right. If, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely gives uh, ages the parents a bit, I would think. Um, yeah, Moira Queen looks rather old to have, like, a 16-year-old daughter. I think she looks kind of young to have kids their age, actually. Really? I don't know. All right. Well, I'm, that's I'm because there's Moira about ten years between the two of us. I don't know. I, I still think Moira's hot, but yeah. I that thing on her top lip, man. I don't know what that is, but she got a thing on her top lip. Just saying. Oh, you're just one of them nitpickers, then, huh? I'm not a nitpicker. Honestly, <laughs> okay. I don't usually go for. You're one that's two uneven toes or something. That's it. No, no toes. I don't care about. <laughs> I'm not looking at your feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I well, some of us really like feet, Hero. I, well, that's no problem. You can Google it and find lots I of I don't sites. want to. My <laughs> name is not Rex Ryan. <laughs> you. Well, Sorry. That went south quick. Sports, sports <coughs> came into this real fast. Uh, backing away from the sports. Um, yeah, this, uh, again, this isn't a super plot-heavy episode, like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that we watched, but it is putting more pieces into place for building up the team dynamic and showing uh, an actual big-time DC villain as a character that is pretty important to one of the characters' journeys in this show. Yeah. Because um, I don't think we're spoiling anything when we say 
Uh, forget that Suicide Squad movie that's out. Um, this show does a version of the Suicide Squad that is pretty damn good. Yeah, it was. It was really good. And, uh, just not, not too long into the season either. No. For exactly which episode it was, but we'll be meeting Amanda Waller here soon, too. Yeah, but the, the Amanda Waller in this is probably one of my bone of contention. She's yeah, too young and she's too hot. Yeah, which, yeah, that's... You should yeah. never want to have sex with Amanda Waller. No, you know, you know. No, if but... anything, your, your your penis should retract. It should be like a dog's. Right, yeah. It'd be like, ooh, no, 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 she's scary. Yeah, not from necessarily, you know, Amanda Waller in the comics always been, you know, portrayed as a big woman, not because of any body image shit. So no, just because just she'll... Justice Warriors, get off us. But, um... <laughs> or get on us, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I fear no reprisals. No, it's because she is uh, single-minded. That's, I mean, that aspect of the character they do get right. She is completely it characterization-wise. Completely ruthless. Yeah, which she's is, yeah. they they do have her portrayed right in the show when she does come in, but it's uh, it's just not the Amanda. It's more the youth than anything. It's, it's more age that puts me off. I just don't. You know, she's too young. She's too young yeah. to have that level of authority that she's in in the show. Yeah, yeah. She looks, but we'll we'll get there. Yeah. Um, the uh, job, man. yeah. Now, I haven't read a ton of the Suicide Squad comics or the Task Force X comics. Is the is is Deadshot tattooing himself something that's like New Fifty Two or? I have no idea either, and I was thinking about that because that's more. And I only know this character from like the Arkham games, but isn't that more like a Zaz thing? Well, Zaz would he'd mark himself with everybody that he killed. Right. He would just like put a little cut into his body. Okay. Didn't I thought he, he actually did the names. I thought it was just cuts. I could be wrong. I said my only reference is, is the Arkham games, and I think he either did... No, I think maybe he just did the cuts in that, but... I don't know, I just thought, whether it's indicative of the character or not, I just thought it was kind of stupid. Because if you're, like, a high-level hitman, man, you're going to run out of space here pretty soon. <laughs> I would think. I mean, just do the little check mark or something, and you're going to go a lot further. Or not leave a record of people you've murdered well, on your body. A good idea either, I wouldn't think, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes it easy for the jury, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, characterization-wise, you know, um, they haven't really delved into him yet because it's his first appearance in the show, but he's he's pretty dead on. Yeah, and he gets some good character moments later on. They, they yeah, really, he does. They really go into his story, even more so than they did for Will Smith's version in The Suicide Squad. It's similar origin, but they, they really do some good drama on it in the show. I'm looking forward to watching that one again. Yeah, uh, that's why there's been uh, that slight discussion about uh, Diggle's brother. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a long running thread. Yeah. in the show. Yeah. But yeah, instead, good to see Deadshot, and uh, it's just a good episode all around. Mostly, I mean, as I said, very very funny and, and yeah, and it's still it's still finding its footing. It's still uh, and they're still peppering us with the mysteries, like the whole Bratva thing is how the fuck did Ali Queen get into the Russian mob? Which know. they still haven't revealed, so I'm no, guessing that's going to be the flashbacks for season five. <laughs> yep, coming up here soon. So we, we've been looking forward to that one more than just about anything. That was always the one that, you know, we know kind of the stuff that happened to him on the island, but it's like, when the hell did this one take place, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, so it was the Russian mob set up on this island, too? I mean, that's Ooh, not, not the case, but yeah. But, um, all right, so next week we're going to be, well, we were talking earlier about how we're going to, proceed with this we 
got our schedule. This will you guys won't be hearing this for a few weeks. Actually, it'll be about um, four weeks from the time we recorded it. But uh, we're definitely thinking about. I'd like to start maybe feeding Supergirl into this. Oh yeah, I have no and, problem with that. That's uh, that first season was uh, very pleasantly surprised by. And we may have to even break our our little code about doing one Marvel, one DC, because there is more DC stuff out there. I, I got thinking about this, and if we want to kind of start catching up and getting, like, I, I would really, if we focus on Supergirl, we can catch almost up to where she's at, you know, as far as seasons go. Yeah. Um, yep. And not too much time. So we might do that, and maybe we'll have do, two DCs in a show or two for you. So hope hope you won't get mad at us for that because this is all a fluid thing, and our, our goal is just to make it the best show that we can for you. Yeah, basically we're gonna end up talking about anything we want to talk about. Uh, yeah, we've we've already had discussions about uh, delving back into the '90s and uh, looking at oh, some yeah. episodes yeah. of the John Wesley Ship version of the Flash, which yes. I was a uh, very big fan of. So. Yeah, and that was only one one season, so that. Well, be- you know what? They directly linked to it in in the second season of the Flash. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing was uh, that we had talked originally that we weren't going to include the Netflix shows on this, and I got thinking it's like, well, why not? Because it's comics to TV technically. So I think we're going to do our regular roundtables of those. Like Luke Cage is coming out here pretty soon. Um, it'll be very soon by the time this one yeah. comes out. And so we'll probably stop down with with the recaps for one week and do you know the roundtable for Luke Cage, who we'll obviously invite a lot of different people in for. And we're not going to do it episode by episode. We're just going to kind of do it as a whole, a recap as like a thirteen hour movie, as these things really feel like. Yeah. Um. So why not? And I'm going to be moving the ones that we've already done in other places over to our main feed just so you can all find them. And so we're building, we're evolving and, uh, hoping you guys keep enjoying it. Thanks again, David, for the amazing email. Yes, thank you again. Please write yeah. in. Yes. Comment, uh, like subscribe. Weekly heroics to say. at yahoo.com. And, um, yeah, that's it for another week, I guess, folks, Mr. Hero. Thank you again for you joining me. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. And according to our schedule, I think next week we will be having... Let me get back to my schedule. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Should be Season 1, Episode 7 of uh, AOS, and we will be doing Season 1, Episode 4 of The Flash for you. So stay tuned. Binge Storm out. (laughs) (laughs) Weekly Heroics, a Two True Freaks Guide to Heroes on TV, is produced by Scott McGregor and Chris Tyler. Contact us by email at weeklyheroics at yahoo.com.
imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the relatively geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. <laughs>